The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Let me explain what we do here at the Song Confessional. So we collect anonymous stories. Well, we collect recordings of anonymous stories, and we call them confessions. We pick our favorite confessions, we give them to songwriters and bands who turn them into new original songs. On this podcast, you're going to hear the confession, you're going to hear the song it inspired, and then an interview with the songwriter. I am sitting here with literally my favorite sugar daddy. What's, uh, what's your name? To you, it's just Sugar Daddy. Yeah, I, 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 that's part of our arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys can call me Zach Catanzaro. And what artist are we, uh, we going to hear from today? We've got Fat Tony from good old H-Town Stay Down, Houston, Texas. Wow. I feel like you can't say that, being from San Antonio. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, yes, we do have Fat Tony from Houston, Texas. You might know Fat Tony from a whole hell of a lot of things, such as his show Thrift Hall that was on Vice. Uh, no longer airing, but soon to come back, I've been told by inside sources. Which is a really cool show. I just learned about this. Tell, tell them what it's about. Yeah, so basically he gets two celebrities, and they go into a Goodwill, and they style people. That's so good. I'm really glad it's coming back. Yeah, you might also know Fat Tony from his main job, which is being a very prolific artist. I, I first heard him uh, when I was visiting Houston maybe 2009, 2010, I was coming back home for a holiday and I went to Mango's RIP and I caught a set of his. He was promoting his first record, um, his first of now 10 full length records. Damn. Yes. This guy is very prolific. He has an album called 10,000 hours, which you can hear more recently. Uh, you might've seen him in a Pepsi commercial performing his song gambling man with a mariachi band. I love that. He's always so true to his Texas roots too. In like so many subtle ways, overt mm-hmm. ways. He's just like Texas forever. And he's true to, he's true to my Texas, yeah, which is a very diverse place. And also specific. Yes. There's, Houston is a specific brand of Texas and mm-hmm. he just like exudes that in every way. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Tony came down to do our artist in residence program. And part of that is that the artist DJs or performs at the hotel. And I have never seen the hotel staff more excited <laughs> to have someone DJing on their property. Fanning out a little bit. I mean, he, he, so at Hotel Magdalena, they have an event lawn and it's, it's, it's at the bottom of the property and it's, it's really beautiful. It honestly is it's very elegant. Yeah, it's, I mean, say. it's like a pri- primarily a wedding space. Exactly, it feels like a place event, you get married. But there's definitely weddings there, a decent amount. So he's down there and he's DJing, and uh, you know, people were there hanging out. They, people came to see him. But the thing I enjoyed the most was just seeing the staff uh, sneaking away from their jobs to <laughs> enjoy it in small doses. I love it. Yeah. So Tony came down and he chose this confession that, similar to last week, might be kind of. On the fringes of acceptable, you know, romantic uh, relationships in today's society. Yeah, it's kinky. It's a little kinky. (laughs) But, you know, in the hands of another songwriter, it it might be judged kind of negatively or, I don't know, it just could be a different experience, but that didn't happen. Tony made it really positive and awesome, which you're going to hear later. But first, our confession. Confession. So I was dating my boyfriend. I was dating my boyfriend who I was very unhappy with. Um, 
I knew that I needed to leave the situation, um, but he was depressed and manipulative and kept pulling me back in. Um, so I started to um, sugar date and meet um, men for money um, to try to, um, I guess, release my pain that I was in from being stuck in this relationship that I wasn't strong enough to get out of yet. And um, upon doing that, I um, met a man that I've been dating for over a year now, and he's the love of my life. And it's funny how, I guess, doing something bad brought something so good. And now here's Sugar Daddy by Fat Tony. Don't 
My favorite aspect of that song is it captures this manic energy that uh, I at least associate with feeling really passionately about someone. Mm. And I think Tony does that really well. We talk about that later in our interview, but that song, it feels, you know, it has a, a mad quality, mad like you know, ins- insanity yeah. quality to it. The, there's kind of counter melodies that sound like they could be in different songs tonally, mm-hmm. you know, the way like you hear this guitar strumming and then this other very distorted instrument that you're not quite sure what it is. There's two choruses in a way. It's it's just really cool. Well, and also the beat is truly uh, bonkers, oh, which... Yeah. Oh, you, yeah, that. You, you know more about that than I do. Uh... Tony brought his longtime collaborator, the producer Goldeneye, to his artisan residence, and uh, he worked on the track with me, you, and Jim, and uh, kind of, sort of, had. Well, what was it like working with Goldeneye? <laughs> it was, it was pretty great. I, I was like, he definitely challenged me in a way that I'm not fully used to when I step in the studio. You know, it's like. I just a quick pat on the shoulder. I've recorded in the studio a lot. Usually I can come in, I can learn a song, I can play it to a click, I can do, you know, what's asked of me for the most part. But this was like, he had such a specific idea of how he wanted this sporadic rhythm mm-hmm. that I would play, I would, he would describe it to me and I would think I would understand what he was saying and then I would play maybe two measures and he'd be like, no, not like that. <laughs> he'd describe it a little more and I'd play like maybe two more measures. He's like, no, not quite like that. Kind of like this other thing and then he was just describing it in these really colorful ways and I was just like, it took me a while to grasp it but by the end it really turned into, you know, his vision of how that drum part should sound. So you were in the live room working out that beat with Goldeneye and I was in the control room with Jim, who's a drummer and a producer. And I said, man, do you understand this this beat that they're, what he's describing? And Jim just turned around and looked at me and said, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jim, who's a very successful, much more successful than me, rock drummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you will hear more about the making of that crazy beat in my interview with Fat Tony. Interview. 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 Who am I speaking with? Yo, this is Fat Tony. I'm an artist from Houston, Texas. And uh, Fat Tony, uh, did you give yourself that name? You know what? Unfortunately, I did give myself that name. It's, it's kind of lame. I wish I had a nickname that other people gave me, but people haven't really given me a lot of nicknames over the years. And I know thousands of people so what the fuck <laughs> uh here's my question so how how long have you gone by fat tony like how many years has it been i started 
using the name Fat Tony, I want to say in 2001 when I was in middle school. Okay, okay. okay. So, so where does that name come from? Well, I would say that it first came to my attention from The Simpsons. I was a big Simpsons fan growing up, but really what cemented it for me was one day I was watching TV. I was watching TRL and Blink-182 were promoting their new album at the time, Take Off Your Pants and and Jacket. And I was a big Blink-182 fan. And um, they had some kind of contest where a band could come visit them in the studio. And the band that won the contest was some pop punk band from Pennsylvania named Fat Tony. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Fat Tony used outside of The Simpsons. Like, I think I had no idea that Fat Tony was about an actual mob guy. I only knew it as a Simpsons character. And I grew up chubby, fat boy. So I gravitated toward that name after seeing Blink-22 bring these boys on MTV. And the next day I went to class, I believe it was PE, you know, and I went to one of those real hectic middle schools where kids fight a lot and were bad, like the kind of schools that in the 90s, they make a movie about like the white teacher coming to understand the kids in the hood. Right. Got it. And um, we were watching Scared Straight or something like that in my PE class. And um, we had like pizza or something. And I doodled on a cup, Fat Tony. And my friend next to me just started calling me that. And that's when I took on the name Fat Tony. And we were all trying to be rappers at that time, too. And I was looking for a name because my rap name then was really boring. So Fat Tony just became me. I think uh, I love that story. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Uh, You were so you were already rapping with your friends when you gave yourself this name. That was already something you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the main instigator trying to get my friends to make music pretty much then. And now I'm the one trying to push everybody to take music seriously. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You've been rapping then for most of your life. You've been making music for most of your life. Uh, Maybe there's no answer to this question, but what, what inspired you then? And what inspires you now? Like what makes you want to create what makes what makes you want to rap? I I think it's being just like just honestly, just being a music lover, like being absolutely obsessed with music. As a kid, I feel like I spent a lot of time by myself. Like when I was not in school, I didn't really hang out with people in my neighborhood or like see friends on like the weekends or like after school. So anytime I wasn't in uh, school. I was probably at home on my computer or watching TV and on my computer, I would just overload myself with music history from, from hip hop history to punk history, to like electronic music, to Prince, just Michael Jackson, any artist or any style of music that I liked, I did a deep dive on it and I downloaded thousands of MP3s I printed out articles. I brought them to school to show my friends, like every project I I could do at school around music, I would do it. Music was just the end all be all. And it wasn't like at that time, I thought that music was what I want to do as a professional. It was just the thing I found most interesting out of everything else in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think I still feel the same way right now, honestly. Um, You know, and and I think over time, I started to make friends through music. 
So I kind of went from being like a kid that was kind of lonely to finding my own community through being a music fan and being an artist. And I think that is what still drives me to do it right now. The love of music and the community that I've created from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so lucky that when we came up, when we were teenagers, because we had access to so much more music for free than the people before us. And I think it's amazing, you know, you were talking about downloading tons of MP3s. I mean, that's such an amazing thing to have been able to do because whatever we were interested in, you could just go out there and hear it, you know? Yeah. And I would download like as much of like, like say I wanted to get into a band like the Misfits, I would download like 10 songs that I would read about that were cited as the most popular. You know, I would look to see what people were like saying about the band on message boards. I'd read allmusic.com, just anywhere that I could look. I'd download those songs. And if I liked it, then I'd go buy the actual CD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I mean, for me, it was, it it didn't even register as uh, like... I don't know. I, I, yeah, I bought as much music as I downloaded. I went to every concert that anyone would take me to, you know, I just, I just was all all consuming, consuming it all as much as humanly possible. Yeah. I mean, the other thing though, and I think this is part of what makes your, your name, uh, your name calls back to this, at least to me, but I feel like I'm not alone in this is that part of what made growing up in Houston so special is that there was this, hip hop scene there that was unlike anything else. Uh, it was very unique and I didn't realize how special it was to have chopped and screwed music, but you know, it, it, it was getting passed, right. Cause we could just get it for free, downloading it, sharing stuff. And then, and then getting a little more into the culture, you could go buy these mixes. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that was so, spe- that was so unique and so special to live in a city where like something that original was happening. And just, I had no sense that it was bigger than Houston. You know, I think what makes your name fun and it does, it does pay homage to it. But I think the fact that your music is not like obviously hearkening back to that makes it playful and fun. I'm, I'm curious how you feel about that. Do you feel like, uh, how did that, that scene influence you as an artist? Or did it, it at all? It made me want to be a rapper. It influenced really? me tremendously. It made me want to be an artist. I'm, I mean, I think that I'm lucky that I grew up in a place that had such a defined music scene for rap music that I didn't have to think it was, you know, a far off dream to become an artist because I saw famous artists from my own city on the local stage and on the national stage my whole life from Scarface. Mm-hmm. Like, like I remember when uh, Fat Pat got killed. I was a Fat Pat fan and my mom told me about it when, when she picked me up from school. I must have been in third grade. And like she felt really bad for me because I was sad about it. And then she took me to Whataburger. Um, I was just yeah. I was just a fan of rap music from from day one, especially the local stuff from from Young Star knocking pictures off the wall, Lil Kiki, Southside, Devin the Dude, Scarface. Mm-hmm. Like these are some of my first favorite artists and first songs that I memorized ever. Yeah, I, I think I was I was getting 
I was getting this lesson from two places, but you know, that, that music was so big and so important in Houston. And at the same time, I was really getting into indie rock and like DIY kind of punk culture. And I think one of the things that I didn't realize what a big effect it had on me until I got older is just this idea that like, you don't necessarily have to be bigger than your hometown. You can just, you can make a scene with your your friends. You can make a scene with your peers and the people will come to you. You know, I think when you don't grow up in like an entertainment hub, it's easy to think that um, success and a career are like, are, are far away. Like you got to move somewhere. And I think growing up in Houston in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, I was getting the opposite message from all the music that I was listening to. So you made this song with us, this song, Sugar Daddy. Uh, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay. What, what was this confession about? So we got a confession from a young woman saying that she was in a relationship that wasn't going well. She was very unhappy. Her partner at the time, he was kind of a bummer. <laughs> he was just always in like a bad mood or something. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't getting better, you know, and she started um, sugar dating, which is a term I hadn't heard before, where basically she would go on dates with uh, typically an older man that had some money and he'd pay for everything and pay for her time and just have like a nice night out. And then she would go home. I don't think that she was like hooking up or taking it further. It was just for the company. Right. But during that whole time of, of uh, sugar dating, she met a man that she fell in love with and she ended up leaving her boyfriend, getting with this guy. And at the time of the recording, they were still dating. And she was saying that, you know, she felt kind of a bit of shame to be sugar dating, which I think is wrong. There's no reason to feel shame about that or pretty much anything, honestly. But she felt shame about how they met, even though it had turned into a great relationship. Mm-hmm. And me and Goldeneye wanted to make a song that was all about how the way that we met means nothing to me. It means nothing to how much I love you, to how much I love being with you, to how much I feel we are right together. And no matter the circumstances that we met, I'm here for you. I'm down for you. I want to be with you. You're, I, I, I feel like you guys succeeded in capturing that in the lyrics for sure. And the music, uh, it's, it is a celebration of the love that they have like hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I can't think of it. There's not even a single really moment of like any doubt or shame coming from, I mean, okay, let me roll back for a second. This, this is from the perspective of the guy, right? Yeah, we were writing from the perspective of the new boyfriend talking to her, telling her that it's all good. She has nothing to worry about. She's kind of overthinking it, tripping mm-hmm. on herself, and she's and she needs to just let it go and just yeah. let this love be because what we got is a great thing. Yeah, I think y'all succeeded in capturing that in the song because it it is a, a total affirmation of the what they have, but also musically. It 
musically the song captures that frantic uh passion intensity mm. that that uh, i think you feel when you're first starting to feel in love with someone or when you just re- you're really reminded of how much you want them and care about them uh it, the music really captures that that is something oh, i think is very cool about the song thank you man so so in this in this tune so we basically there's a drum machine there's acoustic drums which were played by zach i play a little guitar and keyboard gold and i played a lot of keyboard then you rapped and it came together really quickly now i'm curious because i just don't remember did you guys have any of these ideas before we got into the studio so when i woke up i made a voice memo on my phone of like a drum pattern just like a beatbox and when I came into the studio, I used your drum machine to lay that down, found a tempo I liked, and then I let GoldenEye take over. And he started writing like the lead lines and then pretty much guiding y'all on what to play on you and Zach's instruments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one one thing that that stuck out to me was when you were recording this vocal, you were writing it at the same time. So you didn't write all the lyrics and then, and then just get in there and try to do a performance of the whole song. You were lit, you were going line by line. And I can say that from my experience, and I know it's the same for Jim, that's just not usually how it is. Usually, you know, someone comes in and they, they kind of have it all. And then they're just doing passes. I'm curious if you always do it that way, or if that's a process you've arrived at over the years. I almost always do it that way. Um, Why? Why do you think so? I think, one, I look at it as living in that song, right? And when you're really living in the song, it can guide you on how to write it best. Because I think when I'm going line, line by line and I'm hearing it back, you know, my brain, our brains know what should come next. People that write songs, people that have listened to thousands of hours of music, we kind of know what is going to feel good, whether it's like what the next cadence should be or lyrically, what is the most logical thing to say next. And I think sometimes when I'm just writing at at home, I can kind of get into a mode where I'm doing too much or I'm overthinking and I'm and I'm and I'm kind of getting away from what music should do, which is just a conversation between you and the listener. It should flow in a logical way from, oh, this person said this, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then that happened, and it just feels right. Mm -hmm. I can get lost in that if I'm not doing it live in the studio, because there's like the pressure of actually doing it there. There's the feeling of like, our adrenaline's up, we're all on fire, we're all feeling good about this. So I think just some of my best work is when I write it right there on the spot and then I step back, listen to it and make edits if I need to later. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, you know, he, hearing you describe it that way, it sounds like the most obvious thing. I think, uh, I think a lot of songs, I say this as a producer more than anything, a lot of songs and a lot of lyrics could benefit from that, you know, 
really just digging into what the what the vibe is of the track as you're doing it instead of just trying to lay over your your poetry you know i'm mean, granted there are a lot of songs yeah. that way but uh, sometimes it feels like i don't know it doesn't it some a lot of songs suffer from not actually sounding good coming out of someone's mouth who's singing it or rapping it and that's a great way to circumvent that just like think about how people made music way back in the day before you could even record it it had to be something that could stick with you that could stick with the listener too mm -hmm. something that people could memorize word for word and i think that's why some of those older tunes are some of the best songwriting ever because it's just straight up it it just gets to the point without wasting time the way a lot of music does in like the last 50 years or so where like it's all about really just just like indulging your own ego or your own self and just kind of doing too much within a song you know mm. what i mean sure. i hate that i am not a fan of overblown drawn out songs, drawn out albums that don't need all the pieces that they're putting into it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people try to put too much into their music because they're thinking that's that's what you're supposed to do to be seen as quote unquote great. You know, everybody, I feel like a lot of songwriters are kind of ruined by canon, by thinking that, you know, if if your music doesn't match up to the quote unquote greats, then it's not good. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a fallacy and a trap that a lot of artists get into. Like a lot of artists sound like they're making mu music just so you can say, oh, wow, this is excellence. You know what I mean? And especially since like, you know, Kanye put out the Dark Fantasy album, you know, artists like Kendrick Lamar. I feel like since that Kanye album came out and the dawn of Kendrick's music career, mm -hmm. a lot of people in rap music try to follow that. Like there's certain tropes that you need to do for it to be seen as a great album, mm -hmm. you know, sampling a certain way, like all these different nods to like making it musical or whatever. And I think a lot of time it loses the soul, it loses the sauce, and it's not really a representation of your authentic experience as a songwriter which is what the listeners want. They want you, no matter what that you is, if, if, if it's you and it feels real, people will gravitate towards it. Mm -hmm. Are there any lyrics from this, this track that stick out to you that you're particularly proud of? You and me, we're a match. Don't need no light. Don't need no match. How we met ain't a threat. You my light. Don't need no match. I like that um, chorus that Golden I came up with. I like the imagery in it. I think it's cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's very um, romantic. I love telling her that uh, she looks like a Playboy poster. I'm just showing my age. Um, what else did I say? I'm, I'm like looking at my lyrics now. Um, they say lightning likely never striking twice on the same tree, but I'm coming on the double when you hit me twice a week. Just love the reference to the number two a few times, just <laughs> for, for like no damn reason, just doubling up. Oh, I, oh, I love that I mentioned Gwen from No Doubt. Mm -hmm. You might think I'm Gwen because I've got no doubt in my mind. Mm, 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 mm. 
I think the lyrics are fantastic to this song. And Second I, verse, I keep with it. <laughs> Never thought twice about it. I'm back with the twos. I am really sticking to the number two, even though this girl is my first choice and not my second. I'm littering these lyrics with the number two. I love it. I got the chef personally coming to make you a plate. Check me out. Never (laughs) thought twice about it. I'm about it. I'm a shout it. Even if the place is crowded, got my heart on my sleeve, but under that sleeve is an ace. Cause tonight's the anniversary and we got a date at your favorite restaurant. You know, I rented the place, got the chef personally coming to make you a plate. After that, we about to get on a plane, little ride over the ocean for an island vacay. Tell your boss that tomorrow you for sure coming late. Matter of fact, tell that motherfucker you need a raise. Yeah, I'm I'm always advocating for, um, you know, higher wages. You know, people need to get paid. Man, I, I, I was I thought you were maybe just going to go through the entire song. And I was like, this is my, my private uh, Fat Tony poetry reading of this track. I mean. I'm obsessed with uh, rapping. (laughs) I am obsessed with it. You know, I'm working on some new music now. You know, I wrote some the other day saying, um, I can blow a kiss and make your orgasm. Gotta plead the fifth if the court asking. I don't want to live in Calabasas. My girlfriend about to get her master's. I don't want to buy designer. If it's on me, then a nigga got to find it. Drank mezcal till I lose count. Tay on the beat so you know it's gone bounce. What now? We done ran through the whole ounce. My fuck around turned the crib to a grow house. If you didn't know then, but you know now. We the ones to call if it's finna go down. What what can you do as a lyricist and as a rapper? What, what do you think that you do particularly well? Like what's special about what you bring to it? I'm on one and I'm off several. Marinate and let the sauce settle. Got a drink with a rose petal. Feeling sexier than ever. I was poor like Alan Edgar till I had to step it up another level. Now I'm living how I want to. It's like I woke up from a coma. I don't know. I like to do a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of like, uh, you know, pop culture references. I love to reference shit in my lyrics that I like, whether it's, you know, a fucking novelist or it's a movie or it's a song or it's a band name. I feel like through those little trinkets, you get to see who I am, where I'm from, what what I'm into, what I grew up on. You know, those are like little nuggets, like the super fans that actually read the lyrics, you know? I think something you do well uh, as a rapper and as a lyricist is, is that you uh, you talk about love in a way that's compelling, whether it's romantic or whether it's long-term or something like that. You do that very oh, well. Oh, man. Got to, man. Love is everything. I mean, I feel like... I like to say my music is all about the human condition. You know what I mean? It's all about the things that we go through, the things that like the every man goes through. Mm -hmm. And I like to talk about things without putting a judgment on it. You know, none of my songs are about, you know, one's morals or telling folks what to do. That's totally up to you, the audience, to figure out what to take from this song. I just want to describe what is happening. You know, I am a realist when when it comes to my lyrics, you know, like songs like BKNY. I'm just describing a situation. Many of my songs are just describing maybe in a matter of fact way what is going on. But I think that kind of storytelling is deep enough to bring on all kinds of emotions. Mm -hmm. 
Is there anything that we forgot? Anything else you want to mention? I would like to mention that um, this session was so important for me making this song because it was the first time that me and Goldeneye had hooked up to make music since my last album, Exotica. And um, I was really looking for us to be in a room like this where we had other people to play with us, where we could have some live instrumentation happening and just really try to push it. And this session showed me that it was possible, showed me that we could do it in a cool way and come up with music that is still us, but feels bigger. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I love hearing that. And also we had a fucking blast working on this song. And I, I think Jim's mix is amazing. Uh, yes. Yes, and, it is. And I also think that Chris Longwood, who mastered it, I mean, he brought something out of the song, too, that I didn't even... It, he, it was already sounded perfect to me. And then he added something. New, he added another layer. I'm like, man, it sounds so good. Chris Longwood. I know that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, man. Well, I think that's it. Dude, thank you for doing this. And I, this interview is great. People are going to love, love hearing it. Thank you. you, man. And I love you, too. First, great fucking interview, Walker. That was really, really good. Uh, I take only half credit. Yeah, really. I should be saying, great fucking interview, Tony. That was really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I love that it starts with you asking Tony how he got his name, and he goes, oh, man, I, I really wish I had a good story, and then launches into an incredibly detailed and documented history of how he got his name. It was a great story. Yeah. To me, that's indicative of one of two things. One is that he has much more interesting and better stories to himself yes. and that one doesn't qualify and the other one is that he's maybe just being a little coy yeah i don't disagree with that at all he's obviously a guy that not only has stories likes to tell them is really good at telling them he's very intelligent very well spoken it's just like a joy to hear him talk you really get a sense uh for his enjoyment of life no doubt i, I always leave the artist interviews feeling be, being a bigger fan of what they do because you get to really see how someone's mind works. But I really just got a sense of this guy's deep lust for life. Yeah. And he's, he's though he wears it on his shoulder in a very positive way. And I think that's even indicative of how he interpreted the story mm -hmm. and, and made it about, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, similar to last week of just like being proud of who you are, mm -hmm. being yourself, not making excuses, saying fuck you to the haters, you know, like, Andrew and Sabrina on the last episode, the, the big theme here that they pulled out and that Tony pulled out is, you know, no shame. And uh, also seemingly deviant sexuality is tight. The theme song was written by Walker Lukens, performed by Walker, myself, a beautiful little saxophone solo by one Topaz McGarrigal, mixed and engineered by Adam Mason. Sugar Daddy was written and performed by Fat Tony, and Goldeneye. It was mixed and engineered by Jim Eno. I played some guitar. Zach Catanzaro played some drums. And it was mastered by Chris Longwood. The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Jim Eno, Ryland Kettery, Mike Lee, and Adam Mason. And brought to you by KUTX. If you like this podcast, the best thing you can do is share an episode with someone you think will like it. The second best thing you can do is write a review wherever you listen to podcasts.